Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Standards, right? Especially the so, for example, 
if you're getting a plan, written by me, what's it gonna be? Plan is going to be we are going to be wearing level three gloves, depending on what you're doing, or something like that. Some type of appropriate gloves. With that. Same thing with safety glasses. Um, it's always going to be a it's always going to be with the safety glasses. It's going to be a like a dust goggle or a gasketed. I'm not going to mention the brands that I recommend, but gasketed, right? With that, maybe with or without a headband, but it's going to be gasketed. We did a huge study on one of uh, a major, what we call a turnaround out here out uh, back east, uh, where it was a shutdown of an oil refinery for a couple of months uh, to do maintenance, regularly scheduled maintenance. We had all these contractors and they were able to track and compare the results from the previous shutdown where the previous shutdown, they had uh, X number of I situations, whether they could be an actual OSHA recordable, most of them first aids, but they had to go for medical evaluation. So they were wearing regular safety glasses, traditional. We ended up going in to with the gasketed safety glasses, and what do you know? Eye injuries pretty much went away. Went down like 90% of all eye injuries, no recordables, and most of them were like you know, dust in the eye. You put a little bit of, uh, which is what today was, put a little bit of uh, uh, do an eye wash on there, do a little evaluation by a qualified medic, uh, and everything, uh, you know, Everything turns out well, pretty much eliminated. So those are things that you could do right off the bat at your organization. You want to reduce eye injuries, go to gasket and eyewear. Uh, because, uh, no, they do have fit tests for safety glasses to make sure that there's no gap in around the nose ridges and everything else. So that's what I always recommend, gasketed eyewear and cut level three gloves. Pretty much cut level three, cut level four gloves most of the hand injuries go away and then you have the, but you know, you have to do an assessment and everything else. And uh, as I like to point out during when we're reviewing the OSHA citations here and the other injuries, eye injury, for example, eye injury will go according to safety pays on the OSHA website. That'll go for $30,000 with tangible and intangible uh, costs. And so what happens how much does a pair of safety glasses cost? Ten bucks? A really nice pair, like I'm saying. I don't see where the cost-benefit analysis fails on that one, but uh, you know, I could be wrong on this. Now, uh, I came across this, and so let me do a share here on uh, this uh, document on LinkedIn. All right, and. Hold on, hold on. Let me get the right one. All right. So here we have the, all right. And this is put out by uh, Project Manager Case Studies by IEA 2008 by Michael Loria. Now, uh, I don't know if this was in the book or whatever, but these, this meme or whatever we're calling it was, uh, 
generated. I don't know if it was in the book or it was generated afterwards, but here, uh, Red Flag sentences about safety culture. I would like to call them leading indicators that you have a safety culture issue. You might. All right. And remember, often people saying this stuff, not a problem. It's sort of like temptation in the Bible. Not a sin to be tempted. It's maybe a sin on how you get how you react to it, right? So these are not right, uh, so much a problem, but maybe your reaction and everyone else's reactions to them might be a problem. Uh, I'll share with you one story on here. Right, so according to this, if these remarks are frequent and pervasive, you may have a culture problem, right? We may. We've always done it this way. The show must go on. There was a OSHA uh, uh, press release last year where the uh, people involved in it said that to the OSHA site compliance officer. Hey, you can't stop us. The show must go on. The customer hasn't ordered that safety measure. So what does that mean? So often you're in a... Uh, you're uh, install so for example, you're a major oil company. For example, you're in, you need some equipment installed, and in the years gone by, it was you know you pick up the phone and hey, I need some equipment, and then they go and they get equipment, and oh blah blah blah, and right then you then it went to fax machine, emails, that sort of thing, and you get procurement to do it. Now. You didn't care how it was done as long as it met quality control and it showed up. And I got news for you. The quality control was lacking back in the, back in the day. Now what will happen is companies will go out there and they will say, hey, we're gonna, you're going to be manufacturing this, whatever, this widget. And because we might be on the line for Environmental problems, especially if that's an environmentally uh, intensive type of thing, it generates waste and everything. So you have to comply with some kind of standards here. You're going to have to do this and this and this. Uh, and you're going to have to comply with this law. Make sure you comply with this law. So what happens is on the manufacturing end, especially if you're doing small fab shops, they're like, well, you know, they... <sighs> And believe me, my father owned one. So uh, this was, you know, and my brother worked in one. I used to hang around the uh, machine shop with him when he was working. And I learned this. Hey, the customer did not order any of this stuff, this safety issue. So we're not going to worry about it. Now it gets to the point where the customer is like, we want to see a JHA. We want to see uh, the uh, uh, cradle to grave on the waist end. We want to see... We're going to come and inspect your thing because guess what? We come down and inspect your worker. It's all fouled up. We're not going to do business with you because then we're responsible un under some uh, scenarios for what you're doing here. So uh, that's what happens. So I've been uh, in uh, 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 manufacturing and uh, manufacturing uh, uh, environments where they had to go, so where they had to comply with what the company wanted. The other thing is this: you had the whole ISO system, International Standards Organization. They require parts to be made by an ISO, by the appropriate ISO standard, of course. Uh, uh, no, to be manufactured, the business to be run by that. 
Look at this. No, and this it goes all the way out. For example, if you're going to be working in uh, the state of California or the state of California, you have to comply with California labor laws. So uh, this became very controversial with same-sex marriages and things of that nature back in the day, uh, where they you know what. Hey, you want to work with us? This is the way it's going to be. Uh, just do what I say, or I'll get someone else to do it. Take your time to complete this risky task, but have it done before should then. You did a great job in handling that incident. We don't need to be. You need a debriefing. I mean, we don't have to do an incident investigation or anything. It can happen. It can't happen here. That doesn't apply to us. How many? You know, how many times do you hear that? And it's uh, people. It's, a lot of times, it's message sent versus message received on that one. So, for example, a uh, 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 client of mine in the past, they went to a trade group, and the trade group at the uh, thing said, well, you do not need to do the right-to-know stuff if you're under a certain size company, all right? And OSHA came in and said, well, let's see the SDSs for these uh, chemicals you're using. And so what? We were told that we didn't have to do it. Well, by who? Uh, well, we're not going to tell you that. Well, you know, they're giving you bad information. These SDSs, you have hazardous materials. You have to do HAZCOM training. You have to do a lot of stuff. Uh, what do you mean it doesn't? No. And there's a misunderstanding. It doesn't apply to you. And by the way, we're going to talk about OSHA 300 and 300A forms in short order here. Not today. And this is one of the most misunderstood areas. Do you have to keep an OSHA 300 log? Uh, well, some organizations are exempt from posting requirements, but OSHA shows that, and some organizations may be exempt, right? But that doesn't mean you don't keep one, right? Maybe you don't have to post it or something like that. We're going to answer that question here uh, in the next couple of days. Bottom line is I always tell everybody, keep an OSHA 300 log because for, at least you're showing that you're being proactive. Oh, it's tribal knowledge. You'll learn it eventually. This one does have some truth to it. All right. So, for example, you have corporate legacy knowledge out there on how to do things safely, and the worker will adjust their behavior and what they're doing to prevent themselves from getting hurt unless they're psychopathic or something like that, uh, have issues going on, which you probably should be aware of. But what what comes down to is this. You have to uh, have standard operating procedures. <coughs> Pardon me. And things of that nature. Just tell me what is wrong. No need to submit a form. Again, this is how people get around documenting things. I tell you what, this smartphone is the best thing that ever happened to safety, in my opinion. Because, And it's also a pain in the neck because right now, uh, with a couple of my clients, unless it's on a, on a video, audio, or a photo, they will not enforce a safety rule, which is fine. You know that going into that. So if someone does wear, want to wear safety glasses, better have a picture of it. And then you have situations where, oh, here comes the safety guy, put on safety glasses, and, uh, you know, and then they, oh, there he goes, take him off. Run into that. 
So uh, my, one of my favorite is we don't know who's stealing everybody's lunches. So what do they do? They set up a, and they, they were told ahead of time, Hey, we're going to set up a camera. They set up a camera and the people who were screaming, we don't know who's set, uh, uh, what the, uh, no, stealing lunches out of the refrigerator. They caught the person, you know, no need. Right. But anyway, I digress. Why rock the boat? That's another one. Ah, don't get upset. Why are you doing this? Come on. Oh, you know, no. We cannot do this because it would cost the companies money. Really? Accidents cost a hell of a lot more. And usually this is from short-term thinking. Often, the, especially in today's environment, it used to not be like this, where you could stay with a company for 20, 30 years when it's not unheard of. Right, that was actually common. Now it's, uh, you know, won't happen. So what you're, you're dealing with, especially with safety managers, you're dealing with less than five years at, uh, from what I'm seeing, from where I, my world and the oil industry. Most of these safety managers, the actual managers making decisions, four or five years, and then they go on to something else, especially if they work in the oil industry. One, it's burnout environment. Number two, there's a lot of, company people there, meaning that they go around from site to site, refinery to refinery, terminal to terminal. All right. And uh, often they change jobs. And what happens is decisions that they make are made and, and the consequences they never have to face. Right. It's not a safety issue. It's merely a regulatory issue. Well, we know from this show, we have a thing called the general duty clause. Or you're an employer and you have to supply a safe and healthful workplace for your recognized hazards to your employees. Right? That's the long and short of it. Now, guess what? All of the regulations in there come out of that rule. Right? You have to supply a safe and healthful workplace. Right? We have regulations that promote that. That and if you embrace them, you set up an environment for people to succeed. Now, let's say you're in construction, you're working for a major construction manager. By the way, that's our specialty is helping smaller companies work with larger companies. So what happens is, uh, what, what do we do here? It's not a safety issue. It's merely a regulatory issue. If you, you, especially in construction, you have to do an assessment, right? It's like the IRS, right? Dealing with your taxes. You have to do an assessment, figure out what applies to you, then apply it. And if there's an issue, OSHA will, or an insurance company or someone else will come in there, right? And this happens all the time with people who get, uh, with the OSHA citations that we read on the air. We're going to read a couple tonight. It's... The regulations are there to promote safety, right? So these, right? So you're not following a regulation, you're not being safe, right? You're, there's a safety issue. That's not to discount our uh, definition of safety is presence of controls and capacity and everything else. We're safe because the regulator gave us the license. Well, maybe you were safe up until you got the license and then everything went to Guvenal. Right. Don't bring me a problem until you have the solution to bring it. Well, I, I have an end run around here. Ever see the movie Liar Liar with Jim Carrey? 
client calls him up on the phone and uh, he says, hey, uh, you know, what should I do? And then he says, give me the phone. He says, stop breaking the rule. Stop breaking the law. Expletive, right? You know, it's true. Well, no, this is the problem. The other thing is this, and there's another switch on this here. Until you have the solution to bring with it, right? Okay, pick one out. Well, this is what the solution is. Any problem. Well, that's not what we're going to do. That's not the solution, right? This presupposes that you are the expert as a safety professional, all right? Usually, uh, like we say in our management, uh, our uh, leadership stuff, the safety manager is not the one who drives safety. Is not the one who hires, fires, or disciplines anyone. Is not the one to say, time out, let's discuss how to do this safely. That's normally not the safety manager. That has to come from manager. Even when, uh, like on the projects that I'm involved in, a lot of them, they say, well, we have to have a safety meeting, job hazard analysis meeting every morning, especially if you're in the hazmat world, which is another world that I work in, right? The manager has got to be in on the meeting, number one. And number two, the manager has to call the meeting because it's not going to be like, okay, we're shutting down the job to have a safety meeting. Or you're not allowed to go to work until we have a safety meeting and review that job hazard analysis. We're not going to, we have to stop because we have to communicate some issue to you folks and talk about this. That's not going to happen. You have to have the manager say, hey, man, Mr. Manager, Let's do X, Y, and Z. Now, uh, right, get the manager. Now, you're going to say, now, what do we do? All right, I said at the beginning, it's sort of like sin, right, in the Bible. You can be tempted and everything else. That's being tempted is not a sin. Maybe getting there to be tempted might, but you know what I'm saying. But it's not a, right, that's not a sin. Doing stuff is a sin, an action and everything else. A thought, right, could be a sin, right? All, a lot of different things. Same thing with this. What do you say and how do you react? What do you say or react? How do you do that if someone says this in front of you? I had a situation not listed here where somebody... And this is just by coincidence. And the man had pol- had polio as a child, an older older general a gentleman. And he was at. We were working at uh, a, a a pharmaceutical plant where Santa Fe Pasteur, where Jonas Salk had developed the flu vaccine, right? And he had polio. We had a woman. Right, the office manager state uh, the guy requested a handicap spot. Right, seems like a reasonable thing. Hey, I have a placard right from the state of Pennsylvania. I would like. I'm requesting a handicap spot. The woman says to him, then says to him, who was in charge of him, "What do you? If you're handicapped, you shouldn't even be on the construction job. Why are you here?" Now, I'm standing next to her, and she says this. 
And he gets, well, then, you know what? I'm going to just go to the union and let them handle it at this point. I have a right to, uh, this gives you a right, and I don't know what the legalities are, blah, blah, blah. And I said to her, hey, come here. I said, look, if you think that, that's fine. If that's your company policy, you're in charge, that's fine. Never say it in my presence ever again. Ever. I, yeah, I was a di- little bit of a dictator there. I might have handled it differently now. Do not say that in front of me ever again <laughs> with that. You're going to get us all sued here, number one. Number two, it's not morally right that for you to say that. The man is probably the best worker here. He just doesn't want to He has polio or had polio, however we're going to think. He cannot walk from a mile away to the work area, which I think is unreasonable to begin with. But that's the way the job was set up. Well, uh, she didn't like me after that. Well, too freaking bad. They pretty much. So how are you going to react with any of this? We've always done it this way. Well, that's great. You've done it this way, but your TRIR is like five. Okay. The show must go on. Really? Well, that's a pretty cool song from Queen. I got to put that album up. On Facebook, Jay Allen wanted me to put up my favorite albums this week, right? And have influenced me. But anyway, the show must go on. Oh, the show must go on. We have a freaking body laying there on the thing. The person is hurt. And the show must go on. Really? That shows you what? All right. The customer has an order that safety measure. Oh, really? Are you sure on that? Can I see the contract and the order and the, uh, oh, well, oh, you're not going to show me the contract. So you don't know whether or not you're, so even if it's in there, you're not going to tell me, right? What's the contract? You can be nice about it. And so, you know what, what are the specifications for this job for us to complete this? Uh, I'm not, I'm not, oh, we don't have any specifications. Well, then the default is how about we just obey the law? Wouldn't that be good? Just do as I say, or I'll get someone else to do it. Okay, well, sometimes you have to take this to the or else, right? Take your time to complete the risky job, right? And this is the other thing. Incentives. What is the incentives? And I'm highlighting this. I'm putting a box around it. What are the incentives to get things done? How many times has this happened? And what my point is here, I won't go through all of these, but... My point is this. I cannot do anything about what other people are going to say, think, or do. I've stopped that. I've learned that. The issue is this. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to react? Are you going to take the URLs? Or are you going to say, look, this is not acceptable. I understand everybody's situations here. Where we get to uh, a, a situation where we have, uh, where we have, okay, we have people chatting here. Okay, I normally do not, right? Ay ay ay. All right, so we got people sending me now. This is the new thing. We have people sending me advertisements during the program on the show. Well, okay, but. How are you going to react react to it? How, what, what are you going to do? That, and that's really the question that you have to do. I understand people have to have a job. 
Uh, they may not be able to tell their uh, employer to go leave himself. We had a situation today where a guy came onto the job site with an issue screaming and yelling, and the manager said, look, I feel threatened very calmly. I feel threatened. You're going to stop doing what you're doing or you're going to leave. Real simple. Very calmly. What do you think happened? What out? Why? Because we prepared ahead of time for this type of situation. And we had the script already in mind. How are we going to react to it? That's what you got to do. So we're going to take our first break. And I went for 28 minutes here without a break. Wow. Uh, it's my program. I'll do whatever the hell I want. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Polzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. All right. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with The Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with The Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with The Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA Recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. Yes, that's our update with Jessica. And we cannot forget, it's Tuesday. So here's our secret message to you people in the behavior-based safety world. This is Safety Wars, broadcasting to our brothers and sisters in the occupied territory of behavior-based safety. Get out your secret decoder ring. Here is your nightly message. Blame fixes nothing. Blame fixes nothing. All right. So we're going to go into uh, our press releases from the Department of Labor and OSHA today. This is uh, was released uh, today, right? Acting U.S. Secretary of Labor Julie Julie Sue issued a statement on annual union membership data. Acting uh, Secretary of Labor Julie Sue issued the following statement in response to the Bureau of Labor Statistics release of its annual union membership data. The BLS 
reported an increase in union membership with 139,000 more union members in 2023 than 2022, meaning this country has 400,000 more union workers than we had in 2021. The gains under Biden-Harris administration underscore President Biden's commitment to being the most pro-worker, pro-union president in history. We have seen large private sector increases in unionization among healthcare workers, transportation and warehousing workers, and in educational services. These are workers who recognize that they have the power and are organizing to use that power. Workers in healthcare, auto manufacturing, transportation, entertainment, and more have delivered big wins at the bargaining table in the past year. It's also important to acknowledge that public support for unions is the highest we've seen in, since the 1960s. More than two-thirds of wage and salary workers say they would consider joining a union. And going on with this. Now, if you're this aggravates you and pisses you off, I'm going to get frank here with, and plain in my speaking. Uh, what I suggest you do is you pick up a thing that's been around, and they found one recently that's about 2,500 years old. It's called a mirror. Look and see how you treat your workers. And with COVID, See how your organization treated its workers during COVID. Because right now, and I'm going to cover this in the near future, there's some developments on research and comments from certain people that were in charge that uh, would indicate that all this antagonism in a lot of our workplaces that we've seen, right, and all of the a lot of the uh, citations and everything that were issued in the uh, by OSHA and others, right? Might have gone a little bit too far. Might have gone. I don't know. There's some debate. So uh, it's kind of hard for me to be empathetic for organizations that treat their employees like hell, and then they're shocked, and everyone's shocked about their oh, they want to unionize, really. Really, that's shocking, right? And, and I, I don't know how. Okay, and the other thing is this: what we just discussed with the leading indicators. Same thing, guys. Right? Your company has these issues. They have managers and everything that are saying this stuff. Why do you accept it? I don't know. <laughs> you know, just very frustrating here. Okay. U.S. Department of Labor announces big amendments to prohibit a sanction exemption filing and processing procedures. I'm not sure exactly what this is. So we're going to read through it together. U.S. Department of Labor's Employee Benefits Security Administration today announced that it is amending its procedures governing the filing, processing, and prohibited transaction exemption applications. Section 408 of the Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974 directs the Secretary of Labor to establish for granting administrative prohibitive transaction exemptions. Uh, So the exemption procedure regulation promotes the department's prompt and efficient consideration of all prohibited transaction. Clarifying, so this is like an internal thing. Clarifying the types of information and documentation required for a completed application, revising the definitions of a qualified independent fiduciary and qualified independent appraiser to in order 
ensure independence, clarifying the content of specific reports and documents applicants must submit in order to ensure the department receives sufficient information to make findings, update the various timing requirements, and ensure, ensure clarity. So basically, uh, this is uh, basically an internal thing. I clicked on the link. And if you know what this is, it would probably be a good idea to look it up, right? If For those of you in the DOL, I'm not exactly sure all this stuff going on. But they updated these things. I don't know. Uh, I have no comment on it, but I'll report on it. U.S. Department of Labor recovers $168,000 in back wages. This I do have a comment on. For workers misclassified as independent contractors. So this was uh, for a couple of companies, uh, for 51 workers at a Wilmington Storm response contractor that misclassified them as independent contractors and failed to pay them for several months after work com is completed. Now, what happens here is this. If you're a independent contractor or you are a contractor like I am, a safety contractor, freelancer, and you're not being paid as a W-2 employee, meaning you're not a regular employee, you're not a direct hire, uh, they're not taking taxes out and everything, you're a true independent contractor, taxes get paid at a certain point if you're going to do it legally, which I do, right? What ends up happening is uh, on these big jobs, right? Uh, no, so 1099 employees or independent contractors have big issues. One, they're misclassified. So it used to be like a seven or eight question or maybe 10 question uh, thing you had to go through on uh, uh, a questionnaire uh, the, uh, the IRS would give you. And you'd have to go through everyone. Am I this? Yes. Am I this? Yes. Am I this? Yes. Do I do this? Yes. And it goes all the way down. And what ends up happening is the uh, you're able to classify someone as an independent contractor or an employee. To classify them as an independent contractor, you don't have to do withholding. You don't have to pay them every week. You're not responsible for taxes. You're not responsible for health insurance. You're not in spot. Well, they're not. They're exempt under OSHA. So you can see, especially with a disaster situation, where this is very attractive to some companies because they're probably going to be waiting on their uh, uh, insurance payments if insurance is paying for this for like a year, up to a year. I've heard people waiting for two years for that. So this gives them time not to pay people, right? What also happens is, if they're regular employees, you got to get paid every week. And there's more to it than that. I know I'm going to get emails and everything. There's more to that than this, than that. And you have to comply with OSHA and you have to do all this other stuff. The other thing is this, when you're dealing with a disaster situation, you're not, you don't have time to hire people. So what ends up happening is, these companies hire anybody. They need bodies. They need people just to do a cleanup. They don't have time to do training. Independent contractor, you don't have to train them. They don't have time to do physicals. Independent contractor, OSHA doesn't apply. Don't need a physical. Uh, independent contractor, 
they don't have to do background checks a lot of times. This is what happens when you have people who are on recent convicts, for example, that are out of prison. You know, a lot of times you can't even hire them, right? Uh, depending on their past, if as a regular employee, but you could do it as a, you know, you could do an ACME, you know, safety or ACME contractor. You could do it like that. Well, I, I, hey, I hired the contractor to handle this. I gave them all of their stuff, right? Like we just described. And uh, well, hey, I don't know. I don't check on anything. I don't know nothing. My name is Muffin. I don't know nothing where they got them from, right? And this is also one of the challenges if you're an ex-convict getting into the reentry program where you have people uh, who get taken advantage of. Hey, I tell you what, I won't hire you as an employee, but I will hire you as an independent contractor because I can't hire you as an employee because of your background. But we'll set you up with a company maybe or sort of with this. We'll hire as an independent contractor. Then we don't have to worry about anything. Then what happens? People say, hey, where the hell is my money? Well, what do you mean? You're a contractor. You got to wait like we do. You don't have to wait for Gluvno. And well, and then the Department of Labor comes in and they ask these questions that I previously mentioned that they I think they scrubbed them from the internet. And the first question they asked was, What do you think? Did they tell you what time you had to show up at work to work in the morning? Yeah, I had to be there at 7 a.m. Okay, you're now you're an employee. Did they show you how to do the job? Did they give you training? Here, here, we need your yeah. Yeah, the guy gave me a little bit of training, gave me some instruction. Guess what? We, he gave you instruction. He's an employee. You're an employee. And it goes on and on and on playing these gotcha games. And what ended up happening here with this company, they got away really freaking cheap, in my opinion. I know of a company that had to pay, uh, at the end of it, had to pay $500,000. And it was about the same size company on the Gulf Oil spill, 51 workers. Uh, just nightmare. Then uh, let's remember the IRS, and don't quote me on this, but they charge interest on that because guess what? You're not paying into the unemployment insurance. You're not paying into a lot of stuff, FICA, anything like that. So now the IRS comes with their handout. Guess what? For every ten thousand dollars you owe, it's roughly uh, just shy of uh, used to be. I don't know what it is now. It's roughly about. $300,000 per month for every $10,000, plus there's a penalty of about the same amount of money. So you can see where if you owe uh, uh, if you owe $100,000, that comes down to $3,000 a month on one end, then $3,000 a month on the other end, and that gets tabulated, and now you owe the next month interest on that three uh, uh, that $6,000. And now it's no longer uh, uh, you uh, owe interest on 100000 Now it's 106000 right? And it goes on and on and on. And you can see where the fines, la or where you start to owe a lot of money on that. So that's really a, uh, that's a situation there, needless to say. Department of Labor announces new communities and initiative to improve workforce opportunities for young people. All right. And uh, US DOL today announced the second cohort of its Youth Systems Building Academy 
an innovative effort to increase and enhance employment opportunities for youth. The 10 additional communities and their partners will receive individualized training and tailored technical assistance from the department to help develop, test, implement, or scale systems that engage and support young people entering the workforce. Right, delivering a no wrong door youth workforce program, and they have all this stuff here for training and everything else. And this is uh, right, New York, up in Oswego, Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh, Omaha, St. Paul, Taylor, Michigan, Boston, Massachusetts, and all this other stuff. Uh, I, when I was growing up, uh, my two of my brothers were in it. Uh, my brother Wally and my brother Eric. They had what was called a youth conservation program. It was akin to the Civilian Conservation Corps of the 1930s uh, New Deal. And it was cut in 1980, 81, right, under the, and it was very controversial, where they would actually train people in carpentry landscaping in state forests. And my both my brothers are in Stokes. And both of them were able to, now that's a good thing. They got my brother Eric. Excellent carpenter, does carpentry till this day uh, for one of the many things he does for a living. But phenomenal carpenter and everything else, you learn from a similar program. So I'm all for that type of stuff. U.S. Department of Labor, Office of the Trade Representative, find evidence of denial of labor rights at Atento call centers in Hidalgo. U.S.-Mexico Canada's Agreement Interagency Labor Committee for Monitoring and Enforcement, co-chaired by the U.S. Department of Labor and Office of Trade Representative today requested the government of Mexico conduct a review at, uh, at Teno call centers in Pacho de Soto, Hidalgo. The committee found evidence that workers' rights were being denied. Uh, they say uh, that the uh, area alleges uh, Atento unlawfully terminated workers for union organizing that the company engaged in several actions and interfered with union activities, U.S. investigation found evidence of freedom of association uses, bearing a request uh, for view. Uh, going on. Mexico's government has 10 days uh, to decide whether to conduct a review and 45 days. Uh, right now, here we have a thing. Click uh, to contest this. So here we have the Bureau of International Affairs, probably something that we should go into. We'll learn more about that. Okay. Here's, uh, and I can't because they mentioned companies here. I don't, I have to, right, next group of reports I got, I don't normally share those. Let's see how we are doing on time. Okay, 12 minutes. Okay. Okay, where are we? All right. Illinois OSHA recommends new firefighter safety measures following Chicago firefighters' death. Illinois labor officials are issuing a series of statewide recommendations to improve firefighter safety following two-year investigation to the death of a Chicago firefighter. Mashawn Plummer, 30, was critically injured the morning of December 16, 2021, while battling an apartment building fire just six months after graduating the Chicago Fire Academy. Uh, Plummer died five days after the fire. A civilian woman who was pulled out of the fire also died. Uh, the 
Investigators found the primary cause of Plummer's death was a catastrophic malfunction of his SCBA. The hose connecting Plummer's face mask to his air tank tore in two places, rapidly depleting his only source of breathable air. It remains unknown why the air hose stored during the fire. So uh, the SBA passed an inspection the day before. Okay, I'd hate to be the guy dying and the other person dying, but I hate to really, I'd hate to be the person who did the inspection. So, uh, right now, if you're relying on that and only one thing to prevent uh, an injury, of course, a one point failure, you're relying on one thing, it's going to fail eventually. So, what Illinois OSHA said was I identified several factors that contributed to this. And uh, which are it, with this because you have to have right safety is capacity, so is multiple safeguards and everything else, and you're building capacity in the system. So they have three things, right? Firefighters must enter a structure together, stay together, and exit together. Company officers, the buddy system. Company officers must must ensure that all firefighters under their command are on appropriate tactical radio channels. Personnel on scene, including battalion chiefs, company officers, and firefighters, must monitor tactical radio channels for critical reports. Uh, Plumber's company and the battalion chief that took over the incident command did not follow these procedures. Hey, that's didn't we report on that last week with another incident down in uh, Uvalde, Texas? Not only was Plumber alone for 10 minutes, but the CFD's main dispatch center was aware of his mayday call before the chief was due to the radio call on the wrong channel. Other contributing uh, facts, and they're here. Uh, no supervision, and going here, and here. Oh, here we go. And now I have something I could share. This is a report. Again, it's government report. It's not copyrighted, uh, usually. And we have it up here. Pardon me, folks. Mm -hmm. To reduce the risk of similar instances, and I'm not going to read all 19 pages here because it's very in-depth and detailed, I'll send it over to one of my firefighter friends. Prior to entering a hazard zone, firefighters must perform a radio check to establish communication with a member outside the hazard zone. Company officers must provide close supervision of inexperienced members during high-hazard Operations. Sensing commanders must treat potential mayday as an actual mayday till proven otherwise. Right? Uh, let's see what's here on the end. Okay. Recommendations. Perform radio checks. Enter uh, for interior fire repairs. Te uh, teams enter together, stay together, exit uh, together. Say your name when calling a mayday. Repeat it until command confirms. Rapid intervention teams immediately provide a down firefighter with breathing air. One member of the RIT was assigned as an air firefighter. Company officers ensure their members are on appropriate radio channels. Ensure close supervision of inexperienced members. Incident commanders and command team measures establish radio communication teams. That was an issue in with Uvalde. All right. Also, was communication. Have zero tolerance for interior firefighters uh, acting alone. 
in an emergency, uh, if an emergency is declared on scene, ensure all members on scene receive message immediately. Treat any potential mayday as an actual. Now you're going to say with this uh, here, and they have uh, violations here. I don't know really what they mean uh, with this uh, fines or whatever uh, with Illinois. I'm not an expert with Illinois. Now, what I'm going to say here is this. Uh, here. What can we learn as private companies here? The problems that they have with emergency response with this also are often part of private industry, which I've done. I've never done public. I've done private. So this is a, we can learn this as a learning thing, a learning team. We can learn from this. And when you're a safety professional, go out there, and this should prompt some good questions and good conversations with your people. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm probably going to uh, do this as a safety meeting tomorrow. So I downloaded it, and... Okay. So you got head on over to uh, Illinois, right? And uh, you can download that. Okay. No, we won't do that one. We already covered the other day. So here's another one. OSHA is seeking labor union representative for advisory committee on federal workers. OSHA is accepting nominations for vacancy on its federal advisory council on occupational safety and health. A notice published yesterday states that the agency is seeking a representative for labor organizations that represents federal employees. Uh, so you, if you're known as somebody or you're interested, why don't you head on over and figure it out? what you need to do. Let's see, anything else here? Here's a weird one. I'm sorry, that was a little bit long of a pause. This is from Study Finds, by the Study Finds uh, staff. What will the world look like in 1,000 years? One camera is hoping to capture the moment for your descendants all in one single photo. In the serene landscape of Tumahakil, a unique project known as the Millennium Camera is set to capture the evolution of Tucson, Arizona over the next thousand years. Unlike traditional cameras, the Millennium Camera employs a simplistic design for longevity. Light enters through a pinhole and a 24-karat gold sheet and imprints on a special surface inside a copper cylinder. This surface is coated with rose of matter, type of oil paint pigment, which will gradually fade under sunlight over the centuries. In a millennium, this process will reveal image of Tucson transformation in time. Okay, my question is, are they going to remember this in 900 years? I don't know uh, with that. Uh, it's the thing is, uh, now I tell you what, what, some of the more popular stuff is from the early 1800s, mid-1800s with the first photographs where they had the long... Uh, Exposure their daguerreotype, aka Polaroid style cameras. And 
pretty interesting to see this stuff. Uh, I mean, uh, even uh, I believe the city of New York has a back in the 1930s and 40s photographed every building in New York for tax purposes. Pretty interesting to go through there and see that, especially with some of the iconic buildings in New York City. You see them under construction with that stuff. So uh, we're going to call it a show for tonight. And I want to thank everybody for the support and everything else out there. And we're going to go and uh, do our outro video here. And I will see you tomorrow night, God willing. Uh, it might be a pre-recorded uh, show tomorrow. Okay, we'll do it the old-fashioned way. This is Safety Wars broadcast. Hi, this is Jim. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.